This is Trans Chat, a podcast where trans folk chat about ourselves, things important to us, and our communities. Hey folks, this week's two-part episode is about incredibly difficult topics, although it's also incredibly important to discuss these difficult topics. We have a much longer TW list than any episode previous, but for folks with the spoons to do so, I would encourage y'all to give a listen to this. We will be releasing edited and unedited versions of each episode because we believe it is important to provide an uncensored version of Survivor's words. Listeners may notice that there is speech responding to nonverbal communication. This is because we record our sessions while video chatting. The nonverbal communication in today's episodes included crying, head shaking, and lots of me flipping off the folks Lisa is describing. TWs for this episode series include physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, discussion of sex, gay and trans conversion therapies, meal restrictions, hospitalization, eating disorders, suicide attempts, victim blaming, religious justification for horrifying behavior, corrective rape, child molestation. The subject matters will be discussed in detail. You're listening to the unedited version. Would it be appropriate to ask if, if you could say one or two things uh, to parents of survivors, um, what might that be? And, and, and... <laughs> okay, so first of all, we have a lot of resources for parents. We have resources for parents whose kids are survivors and for parents who are currently considering sending their kid away. And we can, we can add that in the section. And I actually fairly regularly get asked to speak to parents. So, so this is something that I do speak about a lot, but it's, it's, it's sensitive and, and it's, it's sensitive for several reasons. A lot of the times, like kids really don't feel comfortable involving their parents in their recovery at all. Um, my own mom, you know, whenever I try to talk to her about this, she just stonewalls me, you know, for some reason she's unable to face what happened. But what I would say is, okay, so for the parents whose kids are already survivors, you know, there's, there's nothing that, that you can do to, to change what's happened. Um, but moving forward, the best thing that you can do is that you can, not only listen to and believe your kid about what they've said happened, but actually assume that they're minimizing it instead of exaggerating it, that it's probably way worse than they're even telling you. And to really, really take a look in the mirror because the way that, you know, the broader context of how kids end up in these facilities a lot of times is, is that a child is the family scapegoat or the identified patient that that a dysfunctional family wants to put the blame for the family problems onto this one kid. And it's usually a kid. It's usually like, I want to say the weakest, but like maybe the, the most emp empathetic, like the person who's not going to stand up for themselves as much. 
and often someone who's a member of any minority groups, you know, like being neurodivergent or being queer. Would and to really go ahead. I was say, would it would it would it be fair to say the most vulnerable member of the family? Vulnerable, yeah, okay, that's better than that's that's the word I was looking for. The most vulnerable person, yeah. And to really like take a look in the mirror, you know, like what what you may have done to create the circumstances under which that kid was acting out or behaving in a certain way or suffering from mental illness. For the parents who are considering sending their kid to a facility like this, um, again, I would say the same thing I just said, you know, that like, as long as you think of your kid as the problem, nothing's going to change. They're just going to get worse. And there are some resources. Um, there are some books that I would like to give people. A big one is, um, you know, Janice Webb, who writes about emotional neglect, which is intergenerational, because if your parents didn't respond to your emotional needs, then you never learned how to respond to your kids' emotional needs. Um, but the best thing that you can do for your kid who's struggling is to take a look in the mirror and say, what am I doing? What are my issues? Instead of saying, how can I fix my kid? And don't send your kid to a I, I think that's fair. Like I, I was, I was expecting that to be the first, the the first thing, and you took a more uh, fair and gentle approach to that. Yeah, I mean, and and I will say there, I will say there are no good facilities. Like this is always what parents say when they come in is like, oh well, you didn't go to this program, you know. So how do you know that this one's bad? Like they're all bad. We all bad because we have survivors from all of them in all of our facebook groups you know well, and there are no good facilities they're, they're coming from the same the same poisonous tree right? yeah and, and they all have the same owners and yeah they use the same philosophies and the same methods of like mind control and all this stuff and yeah like all the food deprivation and all that stuff like they don't treat mental illness like your kid 100% will come out worse than they went in and they will probably never fully trust you again and will probably resent you for the rest of their lives. So don't do it. I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I feel like maybe I've, I've added too much of my own personal experiences to something that are not my experiences and I don't want to pull attention from that. But um, I, I confided in my mom uh, the first parents day when I was at the hospital about how poor and unsystematic some of the stuff that the hospital was doing. And I was like, there, you know, um, if somebody wanted to, they have access to screws from the wall that aren't, aren't screwed in. They've got access to all of these different things. And, and my mom processed that as I was thinking of ways to kill myself. And that's why I ended up in the solitary confinement, in the bed with straps and, and these other things. Yeah. And I would say it was a good 10, 11 years before I was completely open with, with her again. And that was just for that. So like, I, I cannot imagine the effort it would take to put any trust into a parent that sent you to one of these, one of these camps or one of these organizations. Actually, I, I think that's, no, I think that's useful. Okay, well, if, if, if that's the case, um, and like as a parent, I, I, I get her position. 
when when my daughter is biting herself or hurting herself you know there's a concern that that she's going to take that a step further i think maybe there was a better way of handling the sharing of the information in my situation not not saying as a parent for sending someone to a troubled teen camp or something like that i i would like to think i would i would require well, especially them to do that over my dead body sort of thing sorry go ahead no that's good to hear that yes, yeah, some parents did it because they were concerned that their child would harm themselves. But a lot of parents did it because they just don't like their kid or who they are. Like there were kids who were there because their parents didn't like their fashion sense, you know, that they were like or the kind of music that they were listening to, you know, that they were into heavy metal or whatever, like fill in the blank, you know, like hot topic really stuff that actually oh, yeah. in retrospect wasn't that rebellious at all i i grew up thinking musicians that now i think of as soft rock uh, exactly <laughs> were, were the epitome of devil worshiping horrifying things um, yeah so i i mean when you're like sorry, i understand my mom's where my mom is coming from no no it's fine that like yes some parents were motivated by that, but some really didn't have oh, yeah, good and, and motivations I, at all. Uh, or like some were trying to cover up abuse, you know, that their kid had started speaking out against the fact that they were abusing them. You know, there was one girl, my roommate, my first roommate, who had started calling CPS because her parents were beating her. And they sent her to La Europa for that reason. You know, I mean, that's not how they put it. They said she's making false allegations against us. But you know so do you have do you have any like in public health i would say like actionable items or or things that folks can do to help prevent other other kids other teens from experiencing these things and that might just be talking about it yeah i mean yeah awareness is big if we can, I mean, like this industry would go out of business if nobody sent their kid to a facility, right? right. And the fact that the the industry is very, very secretive, you know, like that the, every time a kid is sent away, and this is what happened to me, nobody knows where they went. And, and even my other family members weren't allowed to know where I was. That like, if we can try to bring this to light like that's always the thing that i hear is i've never heard of this i've never heard of this i i hear that like so much you know if we can have as much bad press as possible and and try to make sure that people realize it's a systemic institutional problem it's not like oh this one facility is bad or this one staff member is bad it's like no the whole system is really really abusive and causes trauma so like the main thing if anyone's listening to this can do is just, you know, try to spread awareness to your network. And, and if you hear someone make a vague reference to something where you're like, that sounds a little bit off. Like your friend said, Oh, I sent my kid to a blah, blah, blah. And you're like, that doesn't really sound right. You know, contact us, like contact us at breaking code silence. And we'll tell you if, if it's what you think it is, you know, and then we have some, literature some books some articles you can try to send to parents we will talk to parents we do talk to parents all the time every day every week we talk to parents and do sometimes successfully get them to pull their kid or stop them from sending them but like i said that's 
that's individually approaching the problem and to systemically approach it, you know, we have to shut down the whole industry and just to make sure people realize that it doesn't fix kids. It just makes them worse than they were than when they went in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Maybe it would be appropriate to add here. Uh, I wanted to get some information that I could before we discussed this topic. And um, in a Business Insider uh, article, it discussed how uh, 50,000 youth annually, annually in the U.S. Uh, attend these types of facilities and camps. And, and, and I imagine that's probably an underreporting um, with, with definitions and stuff of what qualifies and what doesn't qualify and that about $1.2 billion a year are made from these facilities, uh, which I, I, I imagine then creates a, a, a big um, lobby presence against accountability and against... Um, so the, the founder of the CEDU schools, um, who was a former Synanon member, was um, Mel Wasserman, who went on to be one of the largest Republican donors. Um, he funded Scooter Libby's defense fund and the founder of WASP was Mel Sembler. And he also like he was, or the founder not of WASP, of Straight Inc. He was a big family friend of the Bushes and the Reagans and went on to raise tons of money for conservative lawmakers and so because and and both of them were huge supporters of Mitt Romney which I know Democrats have started to like Mitt Romney because he stood up to Trump Once. but he gets a lot of his money from this industry yeah. Once that, that that that's not having a backbone um, I'm gonna yeah. hear, I'm gonna hear from family about this but and I'm like he he gets his money from conversion therapy so but because there's this yeah, this huge lobbying presence from the people who own this industry mean that it's it's been very difficult to get any legislation passed because of the lobbying. Yeah. But yeah, money is a huge, huge part of that. Um, I, I have I have one last question written down. I don't know how to to frame it well, so I'm just going to try okay. to word vomit and then we'll, we'll, we'll see. Have you seen but I'm a cheerleader. Yeah. Do you mind sharing a little bit about, about your feelings about that movie? Uh, you don't, you don't have to, but as, as something that is one of the few media representations of like gay conversion therapy. Mm -hmm. um, I, I was curious if maybe you could speak towards the, the accuracy or, or what things may have been, been thought of as hyperbole but but may have been may have been toned down or or you know because that was a traumatizing thing for me to watch before it was ever able to be humorous like definitely and, minimized i love that movie okay okay so like i love that movie um yeah i would say it was i i can't say oh it was accurate it wasn't accurate because there's no uniform right there are these there are thousands of these places and there may have been one that was exactly like that, you know, compared with the one I went to and what I've heard other people describe. Yeah, it was a very, very toned down version, but it was also a movie that was done in a comedic way. And that sort of lighthearted approach, I think, has a value in its own way. So I don't think that that's a bad thing per se, but the parts that, um, 
that really stuck out to me were that were very accurate was like, first of all, that parents were told to cut their kids off if they didn't become straight. And that even like you, you think that the protagonist is, the protagonist's parents are a little bit nicer than like the other parents we see, but then they're the ones who are like, if you leave, you can't come home, no college fund, no nothing. That is something that every program I'm aware of uh, did, that, that if people threatened, if children threatened to leave when they turned 18, that their parents were told to say, well, you're finding your own ride home. You will not be allowed to live in our house if you if you leave on your 18th birthday. Um, then like the way that, that Mary, like the director, she's really kind of nice about her bigotry that like one of the parents uses the F slur and she goes like, Mr. So-and-so that is not appropriate. Like that was super accurate that the people who worked there were so nice about their homophobia, you know, like we don't, we don't have a problem with gay people. Like, we just want to help you have a better, happier life. Like, we're doing this for your own good. That that there are appropriate ways to be a big, you know, like to be a horribly abusive bigot. And then the, um, the sexual reenactment, like in the final stage of the, the program and But I'm a Cheerleader is where they they simulate sexual relationships with each other. Like that is very, very accurate. That was done at every program I've heard of. And at the WASP programs, you know, they had what were called rape reenactments where if, yeah, Kaden, um, where like if people had been sexually assaulted, they were supposed to reenact them in group therapy for like, as part of their therapy. I hope you don't mind me jumping in, but what in the actual f is all of that? What the f Literally, How could anyone think that this is treatment? Yeah. Well, that never happened to me, but but I was, and and the they were called the seminars at the WASP programs, WWASP. At the program I was at, which are the NATSAP programs, we had recreational therapy where we would act out these scenarios. And the one thing that happened to me the one time was I was blindfolded and then the rec therapist repeated, follow me, follow me, follow me. And at a certain point I was like, you know what, I'm not gonna follow you anymore. And then he beat me in the rib cage while I was blindfolded. Sorry, Luna. Is there ever um, any consequences for these folks? like? Have any of these folks ever seen jail time or credential removal or... One of my therapists is doing seven years to life in the Utah State Penitentiary. His name is Jason Calder. You can Google him. But the reason that, that I'm not um, throwing a parade is that the institutions came out clean. That they made it seem like he was just a bad apple. Which, bad apple spoils the bunch is actually the full phrase. So the short answer is not really no. And all of these programs, like all the WASP programs got closed down, but then the owners opened up new facilities, you know, they or just like rebranded and started again. Exactly. Exactly. Or like Island View um, was shut down in like 2015 and it reopened in the same 
building with the same staff under a new name elevations rtc is what it's called now and so i think yeah and that's such disgusting like that's so disgustingly blatantly like that that's almost flaunting you know the fact that it feels so it feels like it should be breaking laws and unfortunately right now it isn't but it feels so disgustingly like blatantly like hey i know we were shut down but guess what there's no law stopping us from just using a new name and there really ought to be i think maybe that could help and of course now the hard part especially for any naysayers of like well how would how can you prove that people have you know gotten better that they were good grief scared straight that you know that i'm a better person now so therefore i get to operate a, a business again like no i think anyone <laughs> who has ever shut down for child abuse should never be allowed to come near children again and like we you know in the us we have a sex offender registry for that reason you know which has its own issues but then when you abuse a child in this way like there's no like no tti program has to register you know it's it's very disappointing and and with that therapist who's now who's now in prison like i just saw like last week this gal joined one of our facebook groups and she posted screenshots of like a message that she got from someone else who worked there who was like we had no idea that he was abusing girls and when we found out we were horrified we were just as traumatized as you were when like we told them all the time and they ignored it and they tried to cover it up and all this stuff and i don't know if like she really believes that or that's her covering her ass legally or what it is but like there's definitely this disconnect that she's trying that they're trying to convince themselves that they aren't really child abusers you know and that kind of even goes back to the justification of, you know, you avoid your own guilt, so you will do anything. You will yeah. do anything to justify to yourself that what you're doing was right, what someone else was doing, you know, physically or otherwise distancing yourself. And so um, quick reminder to any listeners that what we're all of our discussion is centered around U.S.-based stuff, uh, since you mentioned about um, the sex offender registry that this is all u.s based obviously if you're not located in the u.s or not familiar with stuff in the u.s you know this may not be as applicable to your country or your region um but our discussion currently is centered around u.s based stuff <laughs> on on that note is, is this an industry that's largely a uh u.s phenomena is this something that's seen in western nations is this something seen in in, in other areas or is this kind of our own homegrown <laughs> um i feel like maybe we should save that for another episode okay, yeah. I mean, the, I, I, the I, short I, answer is is no some okay. version of this exists all over the world and i can talk about that especially the um the conversion stuff 
but like, but the, the WASP programs were almost all overseas and they were in like Caribbean countries and Latin America. And one of them was even in Western Samoa, but the owners were all based out of Utah. And part of the reason that they opened facilities overseas was uh, tax evasion to huh. avoid certain laws. Um, to make it very difficult for children to run away, you know, that they didn't have access to their passports. So, so yes and no, basically. Yes, it is. It is definitely a U.S. phenomenon, but there's some iteration of this in a lot of different countries around the world, and it is something that we should talk about. Okay, yeah. Um, and, and, you know, <laughs> you, you've, you've, You've expended a lot of emotional labor to to help educate us and to hopefully you know in in, in ways prevent this from happening to others and and uh kate has has thanked you for sharing and, and i wish to thank you as well um it's it's i don't have words to express how how difficult i i, I believe talking about this w would be and um just how amazing i think you are lisa like really thank you um sorry it's okay is there anything else that you want to mention or talk about just that i mean i guess once again i would like to say if any staff are listening to this you know i don't i don't hate you like i'm not out for blood but You really should never come near children again. And I never have to take any of your crap ever again. And I don't want to wax spiritual or religious here, but you know, as a Jewish person, like, you know, I, I believe that, and I could be wrong, but I believe that when you, when you die, God will read your sins to you from the book of life and you will have to answer for what you have done. And I don't know what you will say when God asks you why you did this to your fellow human beings. And that's punishment enough for me. That's, that's heavy. <laughs> I, I think, I think that was soft because I, I don't care whose metaphysical framework it is. Child, child abuse. It's unforgivable. Yeah, doing things to, to other human beings that, that are egregious. You know, karma must exist. No, that's that's what I'm saying, is that, like, I'm not... That's why I'm saying that's why I'm not out for blood, is because I trust that the universe will take care of that for me. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I, I hope so. I mean, I have to, like, I can't, I can't take that on myself. I don't have the capacity to do it. And it's not my responsibility to do that either. Yeah. You know, and also fuck you. Hey everyone, it's Kate here. Thanks for listening to Trans Chat. Take care of yourselves. <laughs> I, I think I think maybe it would be fair uh, if, if if we edit the profanity in this one this episode <laughs> to leave that one up.
Um, okay. And, and uh, you, you know, if if you're if you're comfortable with it, perhaps uh, ha- having either before or after a mention that several of the the listeners, as you were telling, uh, expressed our disapproval uh, through through rude gestures and 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 through. Because uh, I feel like there there deserved to be a lot more protest um, than was recorded uh, as you were sharing these things, um, but that that would have have cut over your voice or um, you know taken away from from what you were trying to do. But th- this is there's no other way to respond than profanity and. Yeah, and and, and 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 hateful gestures or angry gestures. I think that's a good. If nothing else, Luna and I have made several incredulous faces and gestures at things that have been shared, but I think the best note to end on is just <laughs> you. <laughs> okay, I'm okay with that. Yeah. <laughs>